One of our favorite things to do here at Beyond Healing Center is therapeutic retreats. Our retreats are three to five days with holistic wraparound services, all designed to meet your personal needs and goals. You can choose from a menu of services, including EMDR, trauma-informed massage, nervous system-informed yoga and movement, and even equine therapy. From the moment you arrive to the moment you leave, we've crafted this experience to be one of safety and healing. Whether you're interested in a retreat for yourself, or if you're a therapist interested for a client, we would love to talk to you about how our retreats can be a part of a healing journey. Contact our retreat coordinator at therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com or visit our website at beyondhealingcenter.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a guide for your healing journey. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, where we value each person's humanity and what life experiences shaped you to be who you are. We, as the hosts of this podcast, seek to embody these ideas as we explore things like trauma, its impact on the body and mind, and even how it has shaped the way that we are in relationships. Trauma is not the end of our journey. So within this podcast, we will also discuss what it's like to heal, move forward, and grow as a human who has experienced pain. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a guide for your healing journey. Uh, as you'll notice, this is very different. We were just talking about how different it is. <laughs> it feels... Uh, very strange to not have a microphone in front of our face, but we wanted to make this as human as possible. Um, this is something that we're trying to integrate into all of our podcasts, where it feels as if you're here in the room with us. The uh, video on YouTube is going to be really helpful in making that possible, but we also have invested a lot of time and resources into the sound to make it sound like you're here in the room with us. So we've removed the microphones from in front of our face and we have uh, changed them to a boomed microphone. There's three here that you can't even see on the- We're so fancy. Yeah, <laughs> on the video side, you can't even see it. And so our goal was to make it to where there was no visual cues that it's being uh, audio recorded or video recorded, that it's just you here with us. And we want that to still translate into an excellent product in the podcast environment as well. And so we've made sure to uh, pay a lot of attention to the microphones that we're using and some of the software that we're using to process the sound. So uh, we hope that it's still an environment that is very inviting to you and one that helps you feel more engaged and like you're right here with us. You may hear some more humanness coming through like some rustling of the clothes, but that's all here in the room with us. And I know we're going to get some comments about people not liking that. And I would love to get on a Zoom call with you and <laughs> personally, explain, and personally explain the transition and the decision um, because we really want to be very authentic about subjectivity in every medium uh, that we um, put out and, and are talking about our content in. And so for us, this feels very, very authentic, very congruent with that. Mm -hmm. So how are you guys feeling? Much less claustrophobic. And yeah. I can use you my hands a lot more in talking, yeah. which is great which for me. Yep. Around. So I, I don't have to worry about like slamming into something in no front of my cords. face. No, no. Yeah. No headphones. No headphones. Like, how's my hair looking? Can you hear me? Okay. <laughs> you sound like my friends. You don't yeah. sound like this like electronic yeah. voice in my head. Yeah, I can yeah. never do the headphones. So. Yeah. This is great for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's different though. It definitely like, is. It's like however many years I've noticed that in other podcasts of that's like a safety thing. It's you, like there. When you're in the microphone, mm -hmm. you're right there. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's going to be some adjusting, but I think it's for the better for sure. Like it's going to be nice to just get to feel like we're chatting and hanging out and not mm -hmm. as much like a production. Yeah. Already it kind of, I think I'm going to like this a lot more. Yeah. I liked the podcast before, but even now it's like, I just feel like I get to sit with you. 
Yeah. And we don't get to do that a lot. No, mm-hmm. not enough. So that's pretty sure. cool. Not as much as we used to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So we're not going to talk for a whole hour about the lack of microphones we in could. our face. We could. <laughs> I could feel it for sure. <laughs> we have a super interesting topic that we kind of gave a uh, introduction slash prelude to in the last episode. Mm which was about uh, personality assessment. And we kind of ended that episode uh, with the idea of maybe we'll do an episode specifically on the Enneagram because out of all of the assessments, it tends to be our favorite for very specific reasons. So um, maybe we'll use today to kind of dig in a little bit deeper. And one of the things that we're trying to do in this particular season is also involve uh, questions from listeners. And we've had a bunch of questions about the Enneagram. So we went through those and we uh, picked out one in particular that we wanted to kind of share on this episode. And Mm -hmm. then we'll have a wider conversation about the Enneagram in general and why we love it so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you guys excited about in this conversation about the Enneagram? I'm excited to ask you questions right there because <laughs> I know you've studied it so much and even taught it a lot. Yeah. We talk a lot about it. So just to like get to ask more questions about it. Yeah. That I, I keep thinking about, um, and we're kind of recording this like right on the end of our last episode as well. So as we've been transitioning over lunch, the thought keeps going through my head of everybody talks about the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And that's been true for years in kind of my experience of the cultural sort of adoption of the Enneagram language. Like there's all kinds of podcasts that are specifically Mm -hmm. devoted to it. Mm -hmm. There's been a plethora of books published on it. Um, It's for a while there was sort of the kind of self-discovery tool um, in kind of pop psych culture. Mm -hmm. Well, it feels Mm -hmm. like it's like trending and it even like, like, like a year now? ago, especially, it's just like really, really trending. Yeah. I do I do still hear reference to it. And it always amazes me when some people are like, hey, have you heard of, what is that called? Like the Enneagram, I think. <laughs> like like they're just exploring, like just now discovering it too. And But it feels like it had this huge burst of like coming into pop culture and like people talking about it and referencing yeah. it, mm-hmm. which was my like exposure to it. So mm-hmm. then when I came to learn like, oh my gosh, this has been around for a really, really, really long, long time. time. Yeah. And there's tons of books mm-hmm. and like so much written on it. Like I was really impressed and shocked by that. I thought it was like a new thing too. Yeah. And that to me is really what draws me to the Enneagram because it's not... It's not even something that like the Myers-Briggs developed in the 90s. Mm -hmm. It's not something that was just a result of our interest in kind of mapping patterns within the human kind of psyche. Mm -hmm. It came from a spiritual tradition um, that's very closely uh, related to some of our Eastern mystic Mm -hmm. kind of traditions. And they would use this style of talking about um, the dynamics and the the strategies and the way that a human um, kind of oscillates in their discomfort and their, um, I'm trying to not put all of our language into it at the same time, (laughs) of like strategy and threat and safety. But I mean, that's so much of what I see as being so, I don't know, just so natural. Mm-hmm. in the Enneagram. Like that language is just so easy to understand and contextualize for each person and each type and their subtypes, which is something that's not talked about a lot um, in the larger Enneagram culture, that there are subtypes within each type. Um, that three, has a huge impact huge. on the expression. Yeah. Yes, huge subtypes, uh, subtype differences. Um, and so even in people who are familiar with the Enneagram, the subtypes themselves... Uh, are sometimes things that they have never heard of, um, nor have they really felt the difference between, like if they, like I think Jen, you and I are a great example, like both twos, Mm a lot of similarities, but some very key differences as well. Mm -hmm. How do you explain that? Mm -hmm. And can the Enneagram speak to those felt differences? Which is what's so incredible to me is the level, like the intricacies and the level of nuance that the Enneagram can offer. Yeah. And being able to, you know, describe strategy and mm-hmm. personality traits that I feel like I I have not found in another personality assessment before. Yeah. The amount of variation that just gets very like detailed and how different it can be mm-hmm. from two people who are very similar but yet very like 
specific differences in that. Yes, yes. So when we're thinking about an assessment or some type of personality style quiz or something, the Enneagram is in a different category in my mind. It's not just a, you know, yes, there are uh, tests that you can take online. Some of them are helpful, but some of them are not. Um, and really the Enneagram, you know, I was shown the Enneagram through a relationship with a mentor. And that's to me the way that the Enneagram really should be introduced um, in my sort of idealism. But that that is the way that the spiritual tradition that utilized the Enneagram would do it. It's a tool for spiritual directors in helping someone understand some of what is in front in the ego, some of what's still in the subconscious, and then some of the shadow as well. And so that's really where I find the Enneagram to be just so important. Mm -hmm. So right there feels like a good spot to interject the email that we got oh, yes. because it's actually about testing. Yeah. Um, and so I'll go ahead and share what the question was and then mm. you can share what your answer is and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. So the email that we got says, I have a question about the Enneagram. I took the test online and got my type, but when I read the description, I don't feel like it fits me at all. Mm. Do you feel like the online test is valid? So Bridger feels mm. like your answer might be, no, or with a lot of caveat. <laughs> yeah, I, I would probably pretty comfortably just say no. <laughs> like, um, and that's that's just kind of my <laughs> bend, I guess, because I find it often so unhelpful for people that have taken it, mm -hmm. um, who do identify with a type, but only like really it's their shadow that's identifying with a type or it's mm -hmm. their, their main strategy in the world that identifies with the type and not their core kind of self or even wish fulfillment yeah. being expressed yeah. in, in the test taking process. And I think, you know, this is something that we kind of got into on the last episode about personality assessment as a whole is that the, the state of mind that you're in when you take the test mm -hmm. and the kind of embodied reason why you're taking the test has a tremendous influence on the outcome of the mm -hmm. test. So for instance, um, the utility of having a prospective employee take the Enneagram before an interview, we may do that. Mm -hmm. However, it's not actually about determining their real um, personality type. It's more determining, do they know how to take this test in a way that a prospective employer might want? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> because if you get a result that is a type that would not be traditionally a, an employee that would be desirable, mm -hmm. then you might have some concerns, but that, that is because that person was taking it with a specific intent in mind. And that can really make the uh, outcome of the test vary. And so I think that's one thing that we have to be conscious of with any online testing and uh, especially or even with the Enneagram is that our desires while mm -hmm. taking it have a huge impact on what the outcome is going to be. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I have a like personal experience that contrasts some of that though mm -hmm. and taking it myself and learning some about specifically, I'm thinking of like the paragraphs that described the eight and uh -huh. me. Or there were certain phrases like petulant mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that I was like, right, here it is yeah, right now, right? <laughs> Even the way I said the word. Petulant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like in the way it describes some of the eight and like, I don't even remember the exact words in that, but reading it and being like, mm, no, that doesn't really like describe me. And then I took it to Ryan and I was like, okay, <laughs> I just want to be like curious about this and be open. Which was kind of a dangerous question. It really was. <laughs> to say like, right. am I ever actually petulant? Like, You're seriously, like, that's you ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he was like, well. <laughs> and we had great conversation from it. But it really opened my eyes a lot to like, this would be how you might describe characteristics or quality of, qualities about me that feel that I'm less like aware of mm -hmm. yeah. like how it shows up. Mm -hmm. And that's the the shadow that Bridger was yeah. referring to is that the Enneagram gives us a, a little peek into areas that we're not necessarily used to being seen. Yeah. Right. So I think I would like to that listener to that yeah listener and uh, writer of the email just say it could be that it just doesn't match like you, but it also could be that it is describing parts of yourself that are mm -hmm. hard to hear or that mm -hmm. you don't want to relate to yes. or 
um, maybe you're not as familiar with and to stay like open and curious about what it is showing you mm-hmm. and to kind of connect with other people that you trust and feel safe enough (laughs) to explore some of those. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see any like bits of these qualities in me and how do you experience me in that way? Jen, I remember shortly after you took your Enneagram test, or I think you kind of came back around to it again after, you know, all of us got together. (laughs) You were still processing emotionally the introduction of the idea that you might have a petulant streak in you. Yeah, yeah, I was like, <laughs> and it was kind was of like, bothering you. Doesn't fit me at all. And then you like, called really, me really insisting that it's so all. yes, so stubborn about petulant it. Yes. insisting. <laughs> I am not petulant. And then you called me and you said, "So something happened today." I don't know if you remember this. You said, "I had my heart set on Indian food, <laughs> and the Indian restaurant was not <laughs> yes, <I do>. open." <laughs> How and dare I they? threw like a fit. Yeah. <laughs> like we were on a date night and I was just like, I don't even want to eat dinner. This home. is ridiculous. I'm not hungry. <laughs> I was so aggravated. And it was, it was oh. that moment. I'm like, I can, I, I can like, feel my oh God, there it right is. now. <laughs> yes. And you know since what? then, home. Right, yeah. since yeah. then I've been able to like see it show up in other yeah. spaces too. But that was like the first place I could really like identify like, oh. That's what that means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Um, oh, I had a thought of where to go. Because um, I think the way the Enneagram is built, I think is just so beautiful. Um, but even in like that question to the list, like the answer to the listener, the the material that you're reading to see if it fits is also really important. Mm -hmm. Like taking time to really let yourself read all (laughs) of, uh, or like a lot of information about the type in its description, because one or two sentences may hit you in a way that kind of either activates you or completely misses you, like doesn't really connect with you. And that then makes you want to shift into, no, this isn't me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I will say just in my experience, there are certain types, uh, speaking of Enneagram types that are resistant to the process of owning their, mm-hmm. their type, mm-hmm. um, in that there's usually a lot of kind of relational application that needs to take place for them to really see, okay, I get it. I think that this is right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it could be that it could also be that, like I was saying, like the material that you're exposed to doesn't quite line up and just very briefly why that might be the case is I mentioned that there are subtypes within it, but some of the more general type descriptions struggle to encompass the description of all the subtypes. Mm -hmm. So they may be describing one where that's not really your variant or your, your subtype that you're uh, kind of sitting in all the time. And so that might rub you the wrong way and then you reject it and you may throw the Enneagram aside kind of as a whole. Mm-hmm. And that was one of my favorite parts in um, the groups that I've gotten to lead is really helping people struggle with it. Mm-hmm. Cause that's where the posture that I have towards the Enneagram is just try it on. Like mm-hmm. see if this number helps you identify the parts of yourself and specifically looking at those stress and growth or integration paths and seeing if that can bring some insight into what energy you're working with a lot of the time and where you struggle, where you kind of break down, mm-hmm. where you make your decisions from. Is it your head, heart, or gut? Is it you know something that you check a lot of boxes to know whether or not you're safe to make that decision? Um, I think with that, then you can start to really gain some insight for yourself and by the types of your environment, know kind of where you move yeah. and how you, how you function. Well, and I think, Bridger, and, and you and I have had a lot of conversations around this aspect of the Enneagram is that in comparison to a lot of other personality assessments and ways of describing self, um, the Enneagram is very dynamic. Mm-hmm. In fact, it has built in within its structure the idea of movement, the yeah. idea that we are not at a fixed point. We're not always a pure expression of this number, yeah. depending on our environment, depending on uh, where we are in our own spiritual mm-hmm. development. We're going to move around quite a bit. Yeah. And I think the 
being able to reflect on the dynamic nature of whatever our basic type is and know where we tend to go from that um, that usual point is one of the most useful bits about the Enneagram yeah. of, you know, as a three, if my nineness is showing up, that immediately alerts me to the fact that I must not be okay because yeah. threes are notorious and not tracking ourselves very well. We're like blissfully unaware of ourselves at all time, mm-hmm. um, busy impressing everyone. And so to to feel the nine happen and to like feel our energy just like drop out of the bottom is so alarming. Yeah. But knowing that that is that is part of our journey and part of our strategy, and it's it's temporary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that we we always return to our energy again, and and being able to kind of navigate myself through it when I feel that shift and that change in myself. Um, it's not an indication that, oh, well, then I must not be a three, right? No, it's an indication that I'm doing exactly what a three normally d- d- yeah. does, which is go and hang out in the nine world for a little while when we're overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, I love that aspect. Yeah, that point nature. I think is so important that the Enneagram has built within it this flow between uh, types and energies that are mm-hmm. sometimes, depending on your type, in a completely different triad yes. than your kind of core type yeah. is as it kind of sits normally. And that's all about gathering resources to face the current environment. So in that application, and again, if if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, um, a lot of this may kind of seem strange, but I really do encourage you to please go go look it up. And and I do want to tell people like, out of all of the resources, what are the ones that we would recommend? Yes, absolutely. So the absolute go-to book that I recommend is Beatrice Chestnut, um, The 27 Paths to Mm Self-Discovery. That book is just excellent. It does a wonderful job summarizing so much of Enneagram history, as well as some of the developmental uh, kind of paths that uh, different people have taken the Enneagram. It also does a wonderful description of the subtypes and really gives a robust kind of um, application Mm -hmm. of the material. And your perspective is that rather than finding an online test, read the different types and feel your reaction and feel, you know, which one you resonate with most, and then sit with some humans that know you really well and have a conversation. Yep, exactly. And who have known you for quite a while, if you can, if if that's possible. Um, That's definitely the way. Then there's also Richard Rohr is a spiritual director that um, was really important for me in the learning of the Enneagram. Uh, they, I don't know if he still does, but it'd be awesome if, if it's still up on YouTube somewhere. Um, three whole days of trainings that he did mm-hmm. that are all available on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, that was true seven years ago. So I hope <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I hope it's true. What now. would you even search to find? That? Um, just like Richard Rohr and the Enneagram. Yeah. And Rohr is R O H R. And his book is Fixation to Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And he also has just a, a bunch of different books that are great if you're kind of wanting to dig into some non-dualistic thinking Mm -hmm. with your spirituality and your self-growth um so that's really wonderful is that good for well i do think that it's worthwhile to say that if you want an online resource there is the enneagram institute which it is a paid test but it's really inexpensive i think it's like 12 dollars. there's a free one that. that i do recommend it's called the eclectic enneagram and um that has a subtype test as well um and that's a free one so whether if you want to take the reedy or which is on the enneagram institute or if you want just a quick uh enneagram test the eclectic enneagram is one that's also really good yeah the institute gives out a really thorough printout of descriptions of the subtypes and the variants and a lot of a lot of detail and so yeah it's a good and they resource. do a good job with the levels of health as mm-hmm. well within the types because yeah. um, that gives you an idea of when you're going to be wanting to go to a, maybe your stress path if you're starting mm-hmm. to kind of dip down into mm-hmm. some of the unhealthier parts of yourself that's to me just the, one of the most beautiful parts with the enneagram is you have so many resources available to you and just from the get-go, we are all of the types. Mm-hmm. All of us are all of the types. And so where you rest is kind of a, kind of to me, just a story of how you grew up and how that shaped you. You know, this is coming off of the episode that we just had on where does personality come from? Well, your core type is sort of the result of 
the meaning you made in yourself Mm -hmm. explicitly and implicitly from your lived experience up to now. Mm -hmm. And so the resources you have available to you in all of your stress and integration paths, that is just so helpful in understanding where you are at any given time or in any given area. Like one example of in therapy, watching somebody go through the changes of addressing boundaries in their life. I was, you know, I was working with a three recently and they had been buried in that nine space that you're talking about and in codependent relationship Mm -hmm. after codependent relationship, which trapped them in the unhealthy parts of themselves. And so it wasn't until they started to be able to identify that the relationships themselves and the types of people, literally the Enneagram types of people that she was kind of assorting herself with, that that was perpetuating her need to stay mm-hmm. in the nine mm-hmm. because to grab onto the integration of the three was not adaptive. It wasn't tolerable to the system. She would have offended everybody and hurt people by setting those boundaries. Mm-hmm. So to me, it can be really, really helpful. Another concept that I think is just really important to understand with Enneagram is that while you are one number and you have your paths, you know, if you've seen a picture of the Enneagram, it's nine points with a triangle and then two different shaped triangles as well on top of it, kind of layered on. um, Those are the paths between the numbers. Mm -hmm. And with the exception of three, six, and nine, the others are going to bounce around to each of the Uh, different um, kinds of triads. And so when you look at that, it's not done in just the connection between your core type and your stress number and your health number. We bounce around. So if you go into, Melissa, you're just going to be the guinea pig now. (laughs) As you go into nine, if those resources are not working for you, you know, the the laying down is not going to really work anymore. Mm-hmm. You can go even farther and go into your six and get lots of data start gathering. You're still in a very stressed place, mm-hmm. but you're able to shift out of the slothfulness and the collapse of the nine into an immense amount of data gathering, implementation. Who's my, who can I trust? Who can I cling to? Get all these unhealthy things out of my life. Choose these. And if that doesn't work, you can go slam back down into three more shame. Yeah. We just drown in it. Thank you for describing my life, Bridger. <laughs> it's real comfortable. <laughs> Only a few people are listening. Yeah. Don't worry. It's Only. just us. It comes right here. And yeah, if you do, hard. if you do uh, relate to the path of the three and the chaos that we are, it's beautiful, and we get a lot done, and we we do a lot of good in the world. Yeah. Well, I know. Yeah. I'm not going to spare you. No, you better twos. not spare two. No, no. I'm just because saying. to me, it's just such an interesting. <laughs> path because we go from that people pleasing i'll be whatever you need me to be into the eight of how dare you that's just my favorite i love it so much i sometimes really love it too going into the eight yeah 100 it's the most powerful it feels so good to be there absolutely and it doesn't come often no and so when you're there it's so powerful and i don't know jen for you but if eight fails us we go to five Mm mm-hmm I don't know. I don't know much about that okay. shift. I mean, I'm sure I do, but I don't. I haven't identified well, so, that or even know enough about. Yeah. What five so the five is. is a head type, and so that is going to be a much more analytical but oh, sure. stoic place. Mm-hmm. So we lose the fire and the boundary setting of our eight, and we retreat back into this data collection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it's if, when you go like blank faced and your whole family gets nervous, that's probably your five. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and when you pull back yeah. into this place of just like an immense amount of intellectual power, mm-hmm. um, that really you're going to come back then because you always go back to where you came from. Mm-hmm. So the five is going to shoot back into the eight. You'll implement the conclusion of the synthesis Mm -hmm. of the data that you just gathered. Which likely means like completely eviscerating someone with all the information that you just gathered. (laughs) So accurate, but awful to hear what you just say in all of those words. If the five fails, and usually what I've found with twos is the five will fail when there's moral uh, Mm. inconsistency and unethical behavior. Mm. When we are not the ones that are in the wrong, Mm -hmm. we will collapse farther into seven and run. Mm -hmm. 
uh, or that's too many layers deep for me to be familiar with. Yeah. Yeah, but... yeah. So we go into the seven and it's just about pain avoidance, like make yeah. it stop. Yeah. Go numb. Yeah. Just shut it all down. And then if that fails, we go into one, if that fails, we go into four. If that fails, then we go back to two. And if that fails, I'm glad that we have therapists in the world. Well, yeah. If really, if the five fails for, yeah. if your if your second step down fails you, you're in a really tough place. Well, so so I'll give a, a real life example of what that looks like from a three's perspective for strategy number one to fail, right? So for a three, normally we are the performers and we're going to, number one, keep you entertained, but more importantly, keep you real impressed, right? We, we are the best at whatever we do. That's what we believe, tend towards the narcissistic. But when when we're stressed and we go to the nine, we go pretty dorsal, dissociated, shut down. We'll just quit doing everything. Dissociation think, a lot is there. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, sleeping way too many hours and we're doing nothing. So we can go from like being incredibly productive to doing absolutely nothing and just kind of slamming shut. Um, historically, what that would look like in my own life is that that was often in response to a relational threat because mm-hmm. threes are very concerned about their people and yeah. about you know maintaining that connection because we're in that heart triad. And so when we don't know what to do, first we shut down. But then when we go into that six and if we have felt any sense of relational betrayal, we can cut ties and never speak to that person again. And it's like they didn't exist. Yeah. And it was well into, I would say, my 20s when about the ninth person mentioned to me (laughs) that it was strange. (laughs) And I looked around my life and I went, I don't have any friends from like, oh, more than a year. I've got a bit of a pattern going on. And for a three, that's really normal that we cycle through friendships. Now, that that is normal if we have a lot of relational trauma. There are certainly pretty healthy threes that have beautiful relationships and can sustain them for a long time. I was not one of them. Um, and, but that's the path is that as strategy number one fails, and you know, if I play possum and that person doesn't come running to rescue me, mm-hmm. well, now you've betrayed me and I will cut you off and I'm never speaking to you again. You better come over here and get me, which is why I'm surrounded by twos because they always show up. <laughs> See, and that's a great way of like resourcefully using. <laughs> that's right. It's like I played dead and nobody showed up. Dang it. And so we must not be friends. We're done. But a two will never do that to you. A two will always show up. <laughs> that's right. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Twos and threes like each other a lot. <laughs> well, yeah. And so I think that's important to, to note. I mean, we in the West have used the numbers. That's not originally what it was, but it's helpful to look at just in a, a kind of number line in that way because threes are then right next to us as twos but an important crossover um is from on our other side as twos we have the one Mm -hmm. which is into the gut Mm -hmm. triad and so to me i don't know if you've experienced this i think we've talked about this before but your gut is such a place of like intuition like Mm -hmm. it just doesn't feel good Mm -hmm. and that's a place for me as well um and so i think the enneagram in that you know eight nine and one are in the gut triad Two, three, and four are in the heart triad. So a lot of that heart drive, um, passion kind of flowing in that way. And then five, six, and seven are in the head triad. So it's all about data. And and to me, one of the most helpful terms or ways of thinking about the triads that I've come across is that it's the way that you skew your perspective on the world. Mm -hmm. It's through your triad. Mm -hmm. So for the gut triad, it's through the intuition that it can actually fail them. Like, oh, I don't feel good about this, so I'm just not going to do it. Or I don't feel good about this, so I'm going to destroy it. Um, With that, we could get our aim off a little bit. For the heart triad, if I don't feel good about something, I'm just going to, my heart's on my sleeve, here it is. Mm -hmm. And so we make ourselves pretty vulnerable to attack in that way and to kind of losing track of what's really our priority well in our own boundaries yeah exactly. Yeah, like we were actually not skilled at protecting our own heart yeah yeah and then five six and seven it's all about fear and being confused by the amount of data that seems to be contradicting itself mm-hmm. and you see each of the types kind of responding to that differently the fives are collectors the six are synthesizers and pattern identifiers and the sevens are runners so as you're as you're looking at that it's all about the assessment of the data coming in but when you're looking at the fives or when you're looking at the head heart and gut 
you're talking so much about the way that that type of person will skew the information coming into them mm -hmm. from the outside world. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious for both of you, how do you integrate understanding and knowledge of the Enneagram specifically in your relational life? Because I feel like that is one of the spots that it has been profoundly mm -hmm. helpful to me. Yeah. Um, so how do you guys kind of incorporate that? I mean, besides like, hello, nice to meet you. What's your Enneagram type, which is important and everyone should do that. We should yeah. just, you know, wear name tags, self-identify as. I've Enneagram seen businesses type. do like actual, like, uh, <laughs> like baseball cards of themselves. Like a business oh. will say like, here's okay. a picture of my face. Here's my name. And then on the back, it says my Enneagram type and a description about me. Oh, wow. I don't know how I feel about that. I'd have to feel about that for a while. Yeah. 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 If you're a part of a business that does that, I don't want you to feel bad. It's an attempt to, to subjectify. Yeah. 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 The intention is right. Yeah. Maybe. Um, yeah, I, I associate this so closely with our language of like strategy mm -hmm. and the Enneagram numbers and types just being a way to describe the strategies that we've learned of how to navigate the world and relationships. And so I think for me, it's being able to understand somebody's strategy mm -hmm. and be able to get a sense of like, have a more of a heart for like it's necessity and utility for mm -hmm. them. And that that was at some point determined significant for them to navigate relationships. Mm -hmm. So when there's like to be able to identify these certain strategies that I have and to be able to express them very like, um, in a nice description mm -hmm. with a number that says, mm -hmm. here's the list of strategies that I can get more familiar with who they are and what some of their strategies to life might be and how we can come into interaction mm -hmm. with each other. Like mm -hmm. how do we feed off of each other? I'm curious for you, Jen, how was it discovering this tool in the midst of a pre-existing marriage? Hmm. Well, my first discovery of it was before like meeting you guys or like, I mean, I knew you, Melissa, but before really like having conversation, it was just something I had taken with um, a friend and we were looking that over. And so it didn't have a great impact mm -hmm. relationally. It was mostly like in my own self-exploration and I was very curious about it. And then I think it was in coming into relationship with you guys where we started talking about it more often. Yeah. Like it became, it. yes, like really relevant. And so to then get to learn Ryan's mm -hmm. Enneagram type and to see just how like, like those strategies stand out for him and how we interact with each other, yeah. utilizing those strategies. Um, that was really helpful once we really started like talking about it, not just having like the knowledge of it. Yeah. It became part of conversation where we could easily say like, you know, like I feel myself going into that stress path or like I'm recognizing mm -hmm. you in your stress path and I want to connect with you and check in with what's going on. Yeah. Like a way to talk about it. Yeah. For for me, my relationship, you know, didn't start and like I had already had all of this knowledge about the Enneagram and so did Olivia. And so to have this language from the beginning of the relationship yeah. was so powerful. First off to see that we're both twos. Um and to so many people, we look very similar in that, but then there's also just a world of difference between us in how we actually function in the world. Um, and so with that, yeah, to talk about the stress paths, but also to talk about how to support her mm -hmm. and myself in pursuing our health and integration. Mm -hmm. What actually does it take to do that? Because she is you know very much into ceramics she's an art teacher and so she needs a very protected space to do that work but at the same time like something we've been processing here recently is that she doesn't feel super excited about the home studio mm. because it's not around other people mm -hmm. she talks about how she doesn't want to be necessarily engaging with those people but that it's very important for her to be around others who are also creating yeah yeah. And so it's really hard for her to get excited about just going into the studio by herself and doing that work. Whereas mm -hmm. for me, I love That's working perfect. by myself. Like, <laughs> I love I that so much. Yeah. So just to be able to go into a space and speak with that level of kind of clarity, mm -hmm. I just find that mm -hmm. so useful. Yeah. And that kind of speaks to what you were saying earlier about the importance of subtypes and variants. Mm -hmm. 
that while you have your usual resting place, the way that that is expressed through you and the energy that it kind of manifests um, in, in the world that to some degree has a lot to do with introversion and extroversion, yeah. right? Like your desire to um, be in your own space and her desire to be more social. That's part of the, the variance and the subtypes. Yeah. And so particularly relationally, I think that kind of helps us make sense of uh, the needs of each other. And the other thing that I feel like we collectively have learned, including, you know, Ryan, your husband, is while we are actually all the same type, like Ryan and I are the same, you guys are the same, but we're each a different variant on that theme. Yeah. And so when it comes time to make decisions together and when it comes time to kind of delegate tasks, we now have a really clear understanding of who is best for which job. Mm -hmm. And that just like streamlines decision making. You know, uh, a very recent conversation was press release. The threes are in charge of the press release. The twos will not be in charge of the press release. Is that happening? (laughs) We didn't really... We're handling it. Yeah. Okay. Yes. You were, you were there. No, you checked out. Yeah. <laughs> you probably heard those words. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was it was pretty simple. It's like the threes will do the press release, right? Yeah. And and Ryan's version of that was this needs to be done because that's the way that he processes things. And mine was well, that'll be fun. I would love to write that and do that. Where's the camera, right? And like th- those are the expressions of okay. of different versions of three. Like yeah. Ryan, you know, Ryan has a much more um, kind of grounded expression of his threeness and mine is mine. And so I think that like knowing each other's uh, particular patterns and expressions really helps in group decision-making and how to delegate and let people work to their strengths. And even though um, our way of doing things like sometimes makes each other uncomfortable because it's like, well, that is not how I would do that. We've learned the value of letting uh, different skill sets be front and center for different jobs, for instance, in delicate diplomatic situations, Jen is in charge. <laughs> I will accept that. Yes. <laughs> I am not in charge I for those. When it's time to burn something down, then I'm in charge. Then <laughs> we press the button, I'll do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Boom. The big red button. I love big red buttons. Unless it's a Unless. stressful situation. That's right. And then I crumble. I think about... <laughs> A podcast interview we did. Oh, I know. And we were both enraged. Oh, so angry. We were interviewing. So angry. And I went total belly up in my nine and was like stroking the ego of the other person. Which was shocking for me to see that. I had never seen it. What (laughs) is this? And I, my eight came out. She was like pissed and it was beautiful. So tell me why you're doing this to these people. Exactly. Exactly. How could you you justify? Yeah. No, it was lovely. (laughs) The shaming nature of my eyes. The petulance that I'm subject to, I will jab that at you. Uh-huh. How dare you? Prettiest version. <laughs> I I thought it was in great. that context. It felt very valid. It it was. Yeah. I agree. But I I do think that like having understandings of you know whatever groups or family or friend you know pods you find yourself in on a regular basis, like having some of that understanding. Number one, it it does help us with decision making and delegation, all of that. Number two, it kind of helps us have uh, a lot more compassion for the rough edges of different personalities yeah. and knowing to not take things personally when we're seeing somebody fly into their stress path. It's mm-hmm. like, look, you know, I know what that is yes. and I understand why that's happening and uh, have a better sense of how to navigate it and flow through it together. And that that's mm-hmm. necessary for them in this mm-hmm. moment yeah. and that can be To okay. stay safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful conversation. It really is. Yeah. I was just sitting here thinking, like, if you want to teach a series on each of the types and all of that, <laughs> I will be your first person to register for that. Because I really could just sit in here. I would love to hear you describe the way you have with the three and the two and, like, every single type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if anyone else is interested, <laughs> let us know. Because <laughs> we no, can all I listen. Think be interesting. Um, again, I, the... The Enneagram, I think, is is something to be really intentional with relationally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not this parlor game, which um, is the way that Richard Rohr talks about how, you know, this has been used within uh, Catholic, uh, Catholic mysticism for mm-hmm. long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. And the first book on the Enneagram didn't really come out until the 70s. 
And that was because somebody actually like leaked it out. Um, because, it was a moral tradition. It was yeah, it was a secret in, in the mystery tradition. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Because they were afraid that if people started just being flippant with this, that it would turn into a parlor game. Yeah. What's your type? Like, what's your sign? Or what's your, you know, what is this object that I can identify you as and file you away? Mm-hmm. Um, it also would avoid the sometimes scathing self-reflection yeah. that's really important to face your shadow <laughs> and to see what it is that you're you're hiding from and trying to sell a different story to other people to cover up. Yeah. Yeah. And that is I think a really honest experience for a lot of people when they genuinely encounter and reflect on their type for the first time. Yeah. It's a gut punch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like I spent a lot of time uh, believing slash wishing manifesting that I was an eight. I am not an eight <laughs> at all. And it took meeting a real eight to fully recognize that that was not reality for me. Um, but I think for every type, there is this, you know, moment where you're reading through something and, and there's some part of the description where it feels like looking in a mirror and I don't like what I see yeah. because somebody just saw the thing in me that I have been trying to keep out of my own view literally since the day I was born. Yeah. Like here's that, you know, bit of me that I find so repugnant and so repulsive that I've been doing all of these things to try to keep it tucked away. And in the heart triad, we live with this uh, internal embodied hysteria. In other words, there's an internal panic of unworthiness. Mm-hmm. And so when you've, you know, encounter whatever your personal version of uh, that unworthiness staring back at you and all the lengths that you have been going to yeah. to hide that deep pain, it doesn't feel like a parlor game yeah. at all. No. It feels like a moment to go call your therapist and or that's your what best you friend. Need to do. That's right. Yeah, that's what... That's the actual response. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in uh, w- one of my practical experiences, I got to put together a group that was representative of the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. So I was the two mm-hmm. of the group, and we had one through nine. Oh, really? Yeah. Really cool. It was really cool. Very challenging. Um, I was <laughs> I was in a group therapy kind of role. Like that was my I was facilitating a group, and I wanted to be in it with them. Mm-hmm. And to watch the activation happen across the members. Yeah, to watch the stress path of a number activate that person and then try to run from Mm -hmm. them, but then be almost magnetized to it. That's so real. That's so real. Like this this tug of war that you play with your stress path and your growth path, like when you encounter them in other people. Yeah, so strange. Oh, like me being around sixes is just the most disorienting experience ever. Like we're both so uncomfortable and yet we can't get away from each other. And it is that magnetism. Yeah, Yeah. the magnet. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. I'd love to do it. A serious. Really Sign fun. me up. Sign me up. <laughs> I think you've said that about multiple things. Probably. <laughs> Likely. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So did we answer the question? I think so. I think yeah. quite thoroughly we did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tests, they're fine. They're fine, but... More than that too. Yeah. Yeah. Do it over a cup of tea. Yes. And I think, I think too, like if you are going to take a test, really sitting with that question of what is the mindset that I'm in when I'm taking it. Yes, absolutely. And how honest can I get in this moment and really deep self-reflection without trying to make it into what I hope it's going to be or what my preference would be, but really looking at what is the reality here? How do I function? Um, because it, it will be a tremendous mirror. Yeah. A couple things that I tell people if they're going to go take a test, two things. One, if you've been told you're a number and you get that on your self-test, you have to retest, but do it like a week later. <laughs> the second thing is that if you want to be a number, mm-hmm. though you've never really like seen it or, or really tried it on for yourself and you get that number, that's another retest and right. talk with the people in your life that mm-hmm. know you. 
Another important caveat is that if you are in certain cultures, then there's going to be preferred numbers. For instance, as a a female in America, as it is in a lot of cultures, the traits of a two are privileged and prioritized. And so we'll often test as a two, even though that is not a true reflection. That is interesting as well. Um, Twos and sixes are in so many ways like so different but in so many other ways there's such desire and longing like olivia has a lot of friends that are sixes um who when they met identified as twos Mm -hmm. because there's that like chameleon Mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah no i love you and you're a two no way (laughs) i'll start to like hide parts of myself and just like be what you're gonna be um, because that's what really excites me about this connection is that mm-hmm. you care about people so much mm-hmm. and I just want to do that for you because I don't want you to leave me. Mm-hmm. That's the real desire underneath it. But yeah, it's just so interesting. Mm-hmm. Look at the patterns. Mm-hmm. Well, so we can continue this conversation maybe in a more holistic perspective, go yes. through each number. That would be super fun. That would be really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're interested in that as a listener, please let us know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will aid you in your healing journey. If you are feeling inspired by something that you heard today and desire to seek out your own therapy, we would encourage you to do so and would be honored to support you in finding a therapist that is the right fit for you. You can contact us by emailing therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, Please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Beyond Trauma Podcast. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, a media creation group committed to creativity, community, and embracing the beauty of being human. If you like this podcast, You might also like the other podcasts of Beyond Healing Media. Notice That is an EMDR podcast hosted by Emdria-approved consultants and trainers who use EMDR in their practice. The Burnout Educator is an interview-style podcast that invites stories from people across the spectrum of the educational system and seeks to see the human inside the role they play. It is our desire that you see parts of your story and those around you in the stories you hear. The Evidence-Based Therapist is an educational podcast where we read so you don't have to. On this podcast, we discuss seminal, recent, and relevant research on psychotherapeutics and the embodied relational sciences. How do we know what is evidence-based and how do we use it in our practice? You'll find out on the EBT podcast.